right, hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca. Wealth Campus and Community Radio lost my place for a fraction of a second there. I'm your host, Adam A. Dalton. <laughs> and joining me today is Tim Phillips. How are yeah. you, Adam? Uh, I'm good, Tim. I hope you're you're more refreshed and ready than I am today. <laughs> no. I was yeah. reading from a script and everything. <laughs> 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 uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes with me. I've got some notes here, but I have a feeling I'm not going to refer to them. So, well, we'll that's, see how it goes. That's either the sign of a really good review coming up or a really bad review coming up. We'll have to see what happens. Yeah, have to stay tuned for that. Stay tuned. <laughs> and credits is a local <laughs> movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new historical revenge epic, The Northman, which you can still find in some theaters, and you can also find more directly on Premium VOD, wherever you rent your digital movies. That's going to be in the back half of the show for the first half. Uh, This is a Tim Phillips idea, but since... Tim uh, special. It's a Tim special. (laughs) Um, Since... The Northman is the third movie from Robert Edgars, who uh, is also the director of The Witch and the criminally underrated Lighthouse, in my humble opinion. Uh, what, the fact that Willem Dafoe did not get even a nomination for the Best Actor Oscar is the crime of the... And that's the real crime of the century. Yeah, yeah um, it was wild. I mean, anyone can play the Joker. We've seen proof of that. But, I mean, to deliver a monologue while you're being buried alive, show me three other actors who could do that anyway yeah <laughs> so to tim's idea um <laughs> yeah blame her on me yeah i wasn't gonna blame it on you i was actually gonna compliment you because this turned okay. out to be a very difficult exercise trying to pare it down to three sort of new directors and so the measurement we decided on was uh directors who've made three movies or less and or had their debut sometime in the 2010s as their feature length debut in the 2010s. And so I, I sat down to make that, to make my list thinking, you know what, maybe there's like three, I can think of three and, and, you know, um, cause you know, sometimes, you know, people don't get it out of the gate right away. It takes time to find your voice, takes time to find your rhythms. But then yeah. I started making my list and I, I easily got 10. I had to, I had to whittle this down to three from about 10. Yeah, same for me. I've got number three. Uh, no surprise, I picked Robert Eggers as my uh, number three on the list. Because mm-hmm. um, I agree with you, The Lighthouse, such an amazing movie. It was mind-blowing watching that in the cinema. Um, Robert Pattinson was excellent in the lead, but mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe was just amazing and almost overshadows that performance. Because mm-hmm. um, you're saying with him being buried alive, delivering the monologue. <laughs> There's another monologue where he's not being buried alive. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where he's, yeah. I think you compared him to somebody on the Simpsons, right? You're yeah. Saying, the sea uh, house captain. Yeah. Sea house captain. Yeah. yeah. No, he's, he's yeah. The, the scene where he's talking about spilling your beans. Yeah. And it's, he just goes on forever. And at first you're like, <laughs> how long is this going to go on? But then you just love it. It's it just, is. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still do that whenever somebody I hear somebody's talking about oh they spilled the beans uh, my fir- my my immediate first thought is always why'd you spill your beans <laughs> yeah 
Maybe Robert Eggers is listening and can <laughs> ask you in the lighthouse too or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the lighthouse. Yeah. It, it, it's a ama- an amazing film and the atmosphere, like the performances are amazing, but just the atmosphere that Robert Eggers infuses in that um, you're just in a whole different world, you know, the world really unfamiliar world, mm-hmm. e- even though you know, you think it would be familiar maritime sort of lighthouse environment, but he just, it's like, where are you now? Uh, you know, where am I watching this film and does a great job with that. And yeah. And then the Northman, I'm not going to spoil that because we're going to be reviewing it, but mm. I, I thought once again, a great continuation, just sort of that operatic nature of it and just wild violence and mm-hmm. and you're in this world that even though you know it's nordic and you're supposed to say okay i understand vikings it's really <laughs> unfamiliar and like you know something very different than what you usually see for those mm-hmm. for the viking films or nordic films so mm-hmm. um i just think he, he's done an amazing job with those two I did go back and try to watch The Witch, but I couldn't really get into it. Um, mm-hmm. So I might try watching that again. So that's the one flaw in his record from what I've seen. Mm. Um, but I know it, it got sort of mixed reviews where critics loved it and audiences didn't like it. So maybe I should give it a closer look. Um, but Lighthouse and Northman, uh just amazing what he does the camera work mm-hmm. his use of music in both films mm-hmm. um it's just like filmmaking of the highest order so i'm looking forward to what he comes out with next and i think yeah he's number three on my list robert eggers mm-hmm. yeah he's uh i like the witch a lot actually i i he has this incredible talent of sort of like breaking down like taking these genres like the folk horror uh, lighthouse is essentially a haunted house movie. And uh, the Northman is like a revenge thriller, but like he strips off all the Hollywood malaise and, and glitter and, and, and all the usual tropes and stuff and just gets it down to bare bones and rebuilds it. It's um, he, he really, he's really gifted in sort of thinking outside the typical Hollywood boxes in that way. And so is my first director who is uh, Julia Ducournau who is a French filmmaker. And uh, it's funny to me, you know, next week, or I guess this coming Friday, uh, David Cronenberg's new movie, Crimes of the Future, is coming out. His mm-hmm. grand return to body horror. And my, uh, I have no proof of this whatsoever, but my feeling is he's feeling the heat from Julia de Cornell because uh, her first two movies are incredibly body horror centric um raw which is uh (laughs) it's uh it's an incredibly bloody and brutal take on the zombie genre although it doesn't involve really zombies at all it involves cannibalism um and then titani which was one of my top films from last year which is about a girl who gets in a car accident when she's uh young it gets a metal plate um put in her head as as part of the the medical recovery, um, but it ends up, you know, kind of messing her up where she starts to conflate um, cars and sex and um, 
essentially the movie is about how she has sex with a car and gets her pregnant. That's an incredibly simplistic view uh, plot recap of the movie, but <laughs> oh, just one of those films. Okay. <laughs> but it is, it, it is, it is so, um, it is so magnetic. It, it, it just pulls you in it with, with just how over the top it is, but how incredibly dedicated it is to the story and the points of view and just how messed up some of the people in the movie are. And then raw as well, rock inflates cannibalism and sex almost all through it. And it's taboo. It is off putting. Um, when raw was screened at TIFF, I think in 2015, people went running from the room. So, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're not just walking out, they're running out, <laughs> you know, that, uh, this woman plays for keeps and, uh, yeah, I think she's again because you know Cronenberg made Crash, which is about people who are aroused by car crashes, um, and uh, you know they're it's kind of a spiritual or Titani is kind of a spiritual successor to that. So I really think like Cronenberg was like this. I don't know who this Julia Ducournau person is, but she's like she's crapping on my lawn, and I have to <laughs> I have to I have to up my game. No, no more of this like Sigmund Freud stuff or Russian gangster stuff. Back to body horror. Show them who's boss. <laughs> so, <laughs> show so, them who can repulse people the best. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, if the if if the crown cannot go to the guy who introduced the VCR chest vagina, I don't know where it can go. <laughs> but uh, Julia DiCarnau will top it eventually. She's only gotten two movies under her belt, and I can't wait to see what disgust she brings us next. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be awesome yeah <laughs> saw an interview with cronenberg and where he wanted wanted walkouts it seemed like from uh oh yeah oh Cannes yeah film festival he's like oh there's gonna be walkouts looking forward to it yeah <laughs> yeah that's how you know you're onto something anyway yeah. uh your number two tim uh my number two is marielle heller mm-hmm. uh, um she's directed three feature films since 2015 and I don't watch the program, but apparently she also acts in the Queen's Gambit. She mm-hmm. has quite the role in that. Um, I've seen two of the three films she's directed. Mm-hmm. Uh, her first film was The Diary of a Teenage Girl, uh, which was released in 2015. And actually, for, for this show today, I tried watching the start of it. Mm-hmm. Um, may go back to it. It's interesting, though. It came out in 2015, and it's... Uh, frank portrayal of female sexuality mm-hmm. and i found it maybe a little too frank it, it, <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 weird because it's released in 2015 and it's about a well it starts off with a 15 year old girl having sex with her mother's 35 year old boyfriend mm-hmm. and it's uh it's set in 1976 mm-hmm. and it's interesting looking back in this movie that just came out you know, seven years ago. And I was reading some reviews. It didn't really get any backlash for the content, you know, is this coming of age in comparison to like licorice pizza, right. which uh, just came out last year. And um, the gap between the 25 year old uh, female character and 15 year old male character, there's a lot of, a lot of backlash to that. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting. Cause like, it kind of just put me off at the start, but <laughs> I, think, I think I might go back and watch it. Um, and, Cause it, it probably will tell a lot about Marielle Heller. Cause it's really close 
to her heart um, Mm. because she adapted that uh, adapted the film from a graphic novel Mm -hmm. and she actually adapted it to a play that she starred in before she made the the film so uh, probably something I want to go back and watch but uh, leaving that behind the two films I've seen by her I think are both masterpieces Um, Mm. the first one is can you ever forgive me Mm-hmm. which was released in 2018 starring Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant um, based on a, another book based on a 2008 confessional memoir by Lee Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it talks about her struggles with writer's block and how her career was sort of spiraling. And so she sold a personal letter she had um, from Catherine Hepburn and made some money from that. And then she was researching a novel she was going to write about the comedian Fanny Bryce. Mm-hmm. And uh, she goes to the library and uh, finds this letter um, that Fanny Bryce wrote, tries to sell it. person she's selling it to says, oh, this is too boring. Uh, so she goes home and punches it up and <laughs> write, writes her own letter. Um, with more entertaining, uh, entertaining details and ends up selling it for $350. And that sets her on the road of really bad decisions. And that's what I like about a lot of the movies I choose are about people making bad decisions. Mm-hmm. There's something about just how it spirals out of control. And in this case, uh, Lee, Lee Israel starts just writing her own letters, um, <laughs> forgeries, um, from some of the f- famous, most famous people in the literary world and celebrities, uh, and sh- she sells them, and she's quite successful selling them. And Melissa McCarthy, I've never seen her better in a performance. Mm. You know, she's a lot, she's a lot of fun in those comic roles, mm-hmm. um, high energy comic roles, and this is the antithesis of that. <laughs> this is her mm-hmm. alcoholic, depressed, cynical. And she does an amazing job in that role. Mariel Heller has directed A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, mm-hmm. which I also think is a masterpiece. Um, it's the movie about Mr. Rogers starring Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Um, at first, I was reluctant to, to see the film because, you know, talk about typecasting Tom <laughs> Hanks as Mr. Rogers. Yeah. I yeah. think it's really America's dad. Yeah. Yeah. America's dad. Um, But, (laughs) but then when I saw it, uh, it, it's, it's just so well-made and the performance by Tom Hanks is amazing. And it's, it almost uh, reaches a point of almost like transcendence, transcendence watching the the film. You're just sort of, you, you get, you get the Mr. Rogers philosophy and you're sort of, you're drawn into it and you can see that, you know, it wasn't an act. Um, mm. the, the protagonist in it is a journalist for, um, he's writing an article on Mr. Rogers for Esquire and he's very cynical. He's like, Oh, this is probably all an act. I don't, and it's beneath him to do an article on Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. Then he meets him and sees his worldview and it just comes across so well that it's just, you know, all about love really. And all about, you know, caring, caring about people, empathizing with people. And Mr. Rogers shows this guy who's really sort of starts off antagonistic towards him, Mm -hmm. shows him that empathy 
and and from there they they form a bond and uh and the protagonist through that is able to reconcile with his his father who he has a strained relationship with and i think it's just really really a very good humanist movie um with a lot of empathy in it and i think that comes back to the director again mariel heller mm-hmm. and uh i'd highly recommend that as well and i'm looking forward to what she does next um her acting career is really taking off with the queen's gambit apparently she also plays mcgruber's mother in the mcgruber series mm-hmm. um but i hope she continues on with the feature filmmaking because i really like those two and i think i'll go back and watch diary of a teenage girl and see give it a second chance as well mm-hmm. yeah that's a good pick um i have uh for my number two barry jenkins who yeah. um he's made two movies like a lot of unfortunately like a lot of people he's um i shouldn't say unfortunately but i mean there, there's so much tv to watch you can never watch it all anymore so it feels like it almost feels like these people are wasting their time. But <laughs> yeah. um, Barry Jenkins uh, has made two movies, Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk. And they are both these wonderful, lyrical, um, sort of magical love stories. Although they're not, they're not always, it's not, I mean, it's not always happy. Uh, there aren't always happy endings. Um but you have these wonderful magical little moments throughout um, it, the movies aren't bound by time or sort of chronological narrative. Uh, you're, you're getting these like snippets in time, especially with moonlight where you're getting like three very distinct time periods um, that are essentially like a few days or a few hours in, in the life of, of this young, of this um, boy who, you know, you see him when he's a boy and you see him when he becomes a man and, you get these wonderful performances like Mahershala Ali won his, I think it was his first Oscar for Moonlight. And he's, he's only in the one segment and I, he's probably in it barely more than 10 minutes, but um, in that 10 minutes, you just get so much. It feels like a whole story unto itself. And uh, so he has this really great capacity for drawing these characters and Re- Regina King too. And if Beale street could talk as, as the mother, like there's these wonderful paternal and maternal figures that are um, guiding these young people um, as they're struggling with um, romantic entanglements and the sometimes difficult realities that, that those bring in. And plus the use of color, like there's such a vivid use of color and moonlight. Um, Beale street is not as vivid, but it, it has this like kind of misty quality. It, it feels very ethereal, very kind of dreamlike, like as if somebody's remembering it um as as you know they're they're falling asleep at night so it's um they're both very moody but um they're bittersweet they're hopeful um just beautiful films and um i wish she would do more movies because i I can't watch all the tv in the world guys so (laughs) anyway barry jenkins definitely uh one someone i'd like to see Someone I'd like to see more movies from, although I understand his TV is very, very good too. Underground Railroad was very well received. But again, uh, I like two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Old school. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's a good pick. Yeah. So many are going to TV. It's it's yeah, it's tough to just more money for them probably too to do TV these days. And I think more artistic freedom, too, uh, because uh, 
a lot of because it's all a lot of it's streamer based right and they're looking for content and so they're going to be like how much money do you need here you go let us know when it's done and i mean especially netflix i mean netflix is kind of the both the the bane and the savior in this instance because they're generating so much work and you know the you know, there's been articles lately about how the Ontario film industry is is booming essentially because of Netflix. Mm-hmm. And so so in that way, it's a boon. But on the other hand, like there's so many things on Netflix that get released all the time that just end up getting buried. And I mean, that's getting into a whole other subject matter. But uh, Tim, I need to know your third and final pick. My third and final pick is Joel Petrakis, mm-hmm. um, based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan studied film at grand valley state university the giants the giants (laughs) he's been called the new king of underground cinema and the originator of the new genre metal slackerism Mm -hmm. i've seen three of his four features uh but i put him on the top of the list mainly for one feature he made Mm -hmm. for only twelve thousand dollars in michigan Mm -hmm. and i think it's one of the best movies i've ever seen actually it's called buzzard Mm-hmm. from uh, 2014 um and it stars his muse uh someone who's in most of his movies joshua burge um who i think gives a performance of a lifetime as marty jackatanksky and mm-hmm. the film's amazing it's kind of like office space meets taxi driver um but with an updated travis bickle who's <laughs> a little more likable and innocent and spends his time working on creating his own Freddy Krueger glove, mm-hmm. um, listening to heavy metal, playing video games and eating frozen pizza with copious amounts of potato chips and ranch dressing on top. Mm-hmm. Um, he, <laughs> he hates his job as a temp uh, at his boring uh, mortgage company. And he spends time as sort of like a sort of low level scam artist. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be like how he spends his spare time, especially trying to get free frozen pizzas. Um, it starts with him closing a checking account so he can open a new checking account to get the $50 bonus for creating a new checking account at the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just, yeah, he's just, he's always like trying to get a quick buck, but at the same time, you can understand where he's coming from. Cause he's not making very much money. He's probably living close to the poverty line. So it's sort of, you know, a commentary on capitalism and, mm. you know, what you have to do to survive Marty, not to spoil the movie ends up, you know, making bad decisions again, makes really mm-hmm. bad decisions, um, to try to get a quick buck and his, and you just see it spiraling out of control as the movie goes on. Something that starts off almost like a comedy starts spiraling in a darker and darker, darker and darker realm. And, uh, I, I think just the direction and the performances and the screenplay are top notch. And for anybody in, interested in like, independent filmmaking micro budget filmmaking the fact they made this for twelve thousand dollars shows what you can do with just a great script great dialogue and just amazing acting Mm -hmm. because joshua burge who's mainly acted in joel petrakis movies he did have a supporting role in the revenant Mm -hmm. but i think he 
I think there's directors out there who should like snap him up and put <laughs> put him in in their films. He's done some other films that I watched, which are really good too, but not not up to that level. I don't think his original Ape has Joshua Burge in it, um, playing a stand up comedian who's sort of unfunny and disturbed. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's better than Joker, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it's uh, probably not up to the same level. But it definitely is compelling and. It's interesting. I found this director on Amazon Prime, just like searching for cult movies and found um, Buzzard. Uh, and uh, but now he's making maybe a, more of a name for himself. He's on the Criterion channel now. Mm. They have a collection of his films under the moniker Antisocial Animals. Nice. Um, <laughs> and he has a short film he just directed, which is trending, which I watched. It, what, it didn't blow my mind. It was pretty good. He might end up going into TV because <laughs> it reminded <laughs> me like he could do a good job like directing a Stranger Things or something like that. Mm. Um, but mm-hmm. hopefully he comes back to filmmaking. I know his latest film was called Relaxer and I watched that too. And it was, it was good. It was about a young man who's pretty much tied to his couch. Not, not literally, but uh, his brother... Um, that's him that he can't complete the 256th level of Pac-Man, which is apparently impossible. Um, so he spends hours and days and maybe even months on this couch without moving, trying to complete that level of Pac-Man. So mm-hmm. that, that's another interesting film he's directed. Um, so I'd, li- I'd like, to see, like to see if he comes out with some more work going forward. But yeah, Buzzer blew my mind when I saw it. And uh it's definitely a director I'd recommend to people. Probably not not well known mm-hmm. from Grand Rapids. So I follow him on Twitter. He probably has a couple <laughs> thousand followers. Um, he's very accessible. Probably the type of director we could interview on this program, and he'd probably say yes. So <laughs> it'd be it'd be interesting uh, interesting if his career takes off from here. But I think he's he's done some some amazing work so far. So he's number one on my list. All right. We'll have maybe we'll we'll see if we can get him on at some point. Um, my number three is uh, I wanted to do someone who who does not necessarily like serious movies. Um, not to say that he's not a serious filmmaker because I think he is. Uh, Chad Stahovsky, who has his three movies are John Wick one, John Wick two, and John Wick three, um, which are. I think have single-handedly sort of redefined what you can do with action movies in the last, you know, six, seven, eight years, I guess, since the first John Wick came out, which I think was 2014. So eight years Um, for a great example, like the knife fight in John Wick three, where it feels like, you know, there's no, there could be CGI trickery, but it doesn't feel like there is like, it feels like these are real knives real actors throwing real knives at each other and it feels dangerous um so just revel in like the the fight choreography the the gun foo um especially keanu reeves who you know well known for just how how serious he takes the stunt work did 90 percent of his own stunts in john wick one um so you know to see like really people who are like really serious about action deliver serious action seriously, um, really testing themselves um, and, and for it to be like really great. And because most of John Wick is shot in New York. So you get a lot of these great New York scenes. Um, 
another great thing about the Wick series is the uh, the secondary cast. You get a lot of really great characters, a lot of really great character actors. Um, you know, uh, what's his face? Swearington, Ian McShane, um, as uh, as Winston. Uh, you get uh, Lance Reddick in there. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne turns up in John Wick Two. Uh, it's really great to just see uh, movies that have to have like great characters, like action movies that have great characters, and not just treat every character as like a as a scarecrow waiting to get shot. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I, I can't say enough about the John Wick films. Uh, I'm inter- interested to see what happens in John Wick 4. And uh, yeah, it, it'll be, I mean, I wonder what Stahovsky can do outside of the John Wick genre or <laughs> the John Wick subgenre. <laughs> uh, if, you know, he's got other kinds of action movies in him and what would that look like? Um, but I mean, he's he's been a longtime stuntman and like secondary unit director. So to see him like really take off and 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 reshape uh, action cinema as a as a filmmaker, it's been fun to watch. Nice, yeah. But anyway, the Northman probably not a bust, but we're going to get into that next. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, well, Campus and Community Radio. Houston Station, the train turning north, in the Buffett car, we lurched back and forth. Outside crooked dikes, New Yorkshire's green fields, we're flung into dances, the train ticked and reeled. You'll have to excuse me, I'm not at my best. was a clip from the northman it's the new film from writer director robert eggers and it stars alexander skarsgård nicole kidman clay's bang anna taylor joy ethan hawk bjork and willem dafoe as the fool as it should be but anyway yeah. <laughs> uh tim you sound bullish on the northman so uh why don't you take first crack yeah well i wanted to see the northman because of the lighthouse basically same director <laughs> Um, yeah, my wife and I really loved the lighthouse and then we went to see the Northmen and it blew our minds as well. It's just, it's, uh, it's an epic historical piece based on legend of Amleth, 
which inspired Hamlet. Um, but it's, it's done on this like operatic scale, like the violence, the, um, hallucinations, everything's so operatic in it. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't stop watching. I was just drawn in the whole time, two hours and 17 minutes. Didn't look away or <laughs> check my watch once. I was just, it was just so wild and creative and like, like we mentioned before, when we're talking about Robert Eggers, he, uh, he can take something where you think, okay, this is going to be a movie about Vikings or it's, you know, it's Nordic movie. And he can like throws away those expectations just because the atmosphere he creates mm-hmm. um, is just so different and so off kilter. And yeah. And I, I chose it basically because of the lighthouse and I wasn't disappointed. Um, it is different obviously than that. Um, but I, I think he did an excellent job, you know, just bringing it all together. And it's just, it's just a wild movie full of fury and rage and revenge. And, but it's got that intensity to it. Um, you know, not just, not your average historical epic, just really intense mm-hmm. in your face. And I, I loved it. Yeah. It's touching on so many things like the, the Shakespeare connection. And um, I mean, if you're watching it and you're thinking, well, this seems like Hamlet. Well, that there's a good reason for that, but I feel like there's also the return um, bit of, I get, I, I think it, it's paying tribute back to Hamlet in its own ways, just like the way it's kind of styled with some of the dialogue um, the, Ethan Hawke plays the king, uh, who is, who's killed by his brother. And th- there's a, the, <laughs> he has this great speech, uh, when he's like face to face with his brother and he's about to be killed. And he's like, my kingdom will slide off your sleeve like a serpent. And it's just <laughs> like, wow, that's, that's how you go out <laughs> is with, <laughs> with this, with this monologue. But there's also, um, like there's a full blown soliloquy later after um, Amalith gets the um, the the Hellblade for for lack of a I can't I know this sword has a proper name but it's it, it it's the magic sword he gets to to un- undertake his revenge and he's he's um, he's watching his uncle and he has this whole soliloquy about his how his his sword will dine on the blood of his enemies it's it's yeah. it's, it's 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 really out there it's yeah. Like so much of this is like staging and it feels so, even though it's like on an epic scale, but it's like so intimate. There are so many times where the actor is looking at the, like they're looking at someone else, but they're looking at the camera. So it feels like they're talking to you. And I wish I'd seen this in a theater. I watched it on VOD, but I, I do wonder how did you see this in the theater? I did. Yeah. Does does it play as intimately as that in that big space? It does, yeah. Okay, good. It, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's wild. Yeah, and I, it, it's, it's, it's so, it feels so personal. But again, like the, the action isn't, the action is brutal. Um, like there's no fancy camera tricks or anything like that, or fancy, like CG enhanced sequences, or, but you know, there's a raid on a village where it's kind of all done kind of one shot where it's like one continuous shot. And you yeah. see Amleth as he's like tramping through the village. Um, 
almost that's like, the first time we're introduced to the older Amleth, right? Because it's the child. Yeah. And then we see him in action. We see him have, have like all his, this anger and abandonment and uh, his his quest for revenge has kind of molded him into this. Like, And before that, you get this sequence. And there's a couple of sequences like this where you, they're, it seems like they're like summoning like animal spirits. Like they're turning themselves yeah. into animals. And then they go into this village where they just slaughter and and destroy and pillage and um there's a bit of transmogrification there that's that's kind of fascinating that you don't get in any of these things um where you know vikings typically come across as um essentially like good upstanding europeans that just like to fight uh but you know there's there's a real kind of hint of darkness that they're around this bonfire wearing animal skins, essentially turning themselves into monsters before they go and lay siege to a village, a simple farming village the next day. It's, it's um, it really does wallow in that darkness, which I, I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. It's just sort of the animal rituals and becoming like the animals and mm-hmm. the berserkers. Like you're saying, when they raid that village, mm-hmm. that was so compelling because you see fight scenes. Usually they come with their weapons. They come in and it's, you know, but Amalith was like going after people, punching them off of horses, yeah, <laughs> um, like eating their face or, you know, like yes. biting into them. Yeah. It's just so animalistic and it was just wild to watch. And it, the camera work. Yeah. It was so, so well done. Cause you're like, feel like you're part of the action. You're seeing this raid of this village in this, most brutal way mm-hmm. uh, with you know animalistic way and yeah I, I, that really was compelling to me and later on like the relationships in it you know mm-hmm. come back to sort of the hamlet basis of it and, you know the mother played by nicole kidman mm-hmm. who he's trying to free from his uncle who uh killed his his father and took his mother. So she thinks she's captured by him. And, but she, she doesn't say much earlier in the film. I'm like, well, it's Nicole Kidman. She must be, she must be (laughs) about to say something at some point. And then she has this sort of monologue when she's with him uh, talking about, um, Mm -hmm. talking about what, how, how she really feels apparently and how Mm -hmm. she wanted the, to be with the uncle and, she, mm-hmm. she ordered uh, Amleth killed and it's just, just wild to watch. And then the relationship th- they have from there. And it's, it, it's, it, it's definitely, definitely just sort of out there. Right. Cause you don't usually mm-hmm. see that. Usually things like battle scenes are like well choreographed. Okay, here you go. Um, relationships between, mother and son they might be afraid but it goes into like weird almost becomes incestuous at one point when they kiss and you're just mm-hmm. like this is this is pretty wild here mm-hmm. and and also the scenes with the with like the slaves and anya taylor joy mm-hmm. as as the love interest for amleth i think um they play really well too and mm-hmm. and and working on like how they're going to overthrow the powers that be you, you get, you get that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, like, yeah, I was just totally entertained the whole time through. <laughs> Couldn't take my eyes off of it. 
I think I, in preparing for this, I read some reviews or people saying it was like rote or something. And I'm like, what are what were you watching? Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't understand how you could be like bored by this. I would just, I think it was. It's not dull. I mean, it's, no. uh, you know, it doesn't reinvent the wheel so far as revenge epics go, but it's not dull. It's, mm-hmm. it's so immaculately constructed with the costume design and the cinematography and, and the staging of things. A lot of it is like going out into, you know, the shot in Iceland and in Northern Ireland and, and going into these real places um, and, and, you know, getting the, the mists and the, you know, the, the, the greens of, you know, wh- wherever they film anywhere that's green, the green really pops. And I'm sure a lot of that was after effects or whatever, but um, like the costumes, like Bork, Bjork turns up as like some sort of uh, prophetess, but mm-hmm. she's like wearing this. It looks like vaguely Samoan, which doesn't make any sense, but um, I assume there was a lot of research going, but it just, it, it, it is not, it does not meet your like conceptions of, of what this culture looks like. Like nobody's wearing a helmet with the two horns on the side, like Asterix. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it's so out there. It feels so alien as it would, because this is, um, this is still uh, Northern Europe um, pre- sort of the Christian conversion. So they're still talking about sacrificing people to, to Freya and uh, summoning the spirit of the Odin son and, and, and all of this stuff. Um, <laughs> there's yeah. a, it's, it, it's, it's so out there. Uh, but yeah, it's not boring at all. And what, what, what I find to, to get back to what you were saying about the, the Nicole Kidman scene which is it plays against these expectations because um like there's a whole tv show about vikings that it was kind of grounded in realism but it's still about the heroism vikings too and this movie you know plays into you know the 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 right history of vikings but and inadvertently subverts your expectations because he goes in there he goes into his mother's room. It's like, I'm here to save you. And she's like, no, uh, your father kidnapped me and made me his wife and made me have a child with him. Because, uh, oh, so he married me because I bore him a son, which immediately deflates all this, any and all romanticism about this, this quest. And also just like, as I said, her own expectations, because of course she was, you know, <laughs> we see um, the uncle earlier, like, trolling the slave girls to see who was going to rape that night and of course it would have been the same thing with Amla's father of course mm-hmm. he would have married the woman who bore him a son um after he assaulted her and it's like ah, of course i mean and yeah. <laughs> it's just it's it's also nihilistic because ultimately his quest like yeah he's avenging his father but like what for he could have easily just gotten on that boat and went away with anya taylor joy Mm -hmm. and and lived like a happy life somewhere where the uncle would have never found them i mean it was the 10th century it's not like he could he could stalk them on facebook or whatever but (laughs) but it's it's also nihilist because there's also what we learn is the uncle takes over uh, Amleth's father's kingdom, and then Amleth is is with this other group in uh, Rus, which I gather is like in the sort of the Black Sea area of you know Eastern Europe. 
um, that I gathered from my own research. And he hears from one of his colleagues that um, <laughs> that uh, his brother or his uncle lost the kingdom. So it's like, well, what was that for? You slaughtered your brother. You yeah. slaughtered his people. You think you killed his son. You took over the place and then you lose it yourself. What is any of this for? And, you know, yeah. it's, you kind of get your answer in the end because like, what's the, not to spoil anything, what's the final shot of the film? It's like, it, it's the great warrior being carried off to Valhalla. And it's kind of encoded in this film. It's like, what is any of this for? To have a glorious death so you can then go to Valhalla, which is even better than the real world. Okay. So well, yeah. it's, it's kind of bad that way. What is any of this for to go to Valhalla? All right. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> it's bizarre. Yeah. But I loved every minute of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause it, it just, there's yeah strength in the filmmaking. It's just, it's, it just takes you where you don't necessarily need to have that, you mm-hmm. know, that meaning to it or, you know, even actually like when his mother like told him the truth, I really liked that. Right. As opposed to him being the hero take to take her off and free her. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it just adds, adds something different something that's probably more realistic. Right. You hear about yeah. the Vikings raping and pillaging. It's not, not a lot of her, her not a lot of heroic uh, things happening there. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it 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 in that like moment, the entire like quest of the thing is undermined because it's there's kind of like a bit of Mission Impossible stuff in the middle where he's like, okay, I'm gonna like screw with them. It's like, yeah, I have this sword, I can literally like go into my uncle's room and finish it today. But you know, let's have a little fun. You know, like kill some of his men and <laughs> nail them yeah. to the roof and <laughs> and like yeah. feed them magic mushrooms and have them go crazy. <laughs> But but then he can't he can't use the sword right because the time hasn't come fate doesn't allow it he can't take the sword out and that remember was, when yeah. he's being tortured that it was kind of funny he's being tortured and then at the end this one of the guys tries to take his sword out like he's going to kill him and he can't take his sword out to kill right. him because the sword can't be un- unsheathed uh, unless it's at the gates of hell or <laughs> um, it's night and I love that sequence where you, it, it's it's where the sound design really pays off where it's like just the break of day. So it's still cut. It's still mostly dark, but you hear the rooster caw, you hear the rooster caw. And then he goes for the sword and he tries to yank it out and it won't come out. And you're like, Oh no, it's day. (laughs) (laughs) You can't draw the sword. It's day. (laughs) It's, it was, that was, that was really well done. I, that's, that's kind of where like the the attention for detail pays off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I, go ahead. Oh, not no, I just yeah, I, I kind of laughed at that. It's kind of weird to laugh at a scene where somebody's <laughs> being tortured, but yeah. like at the end, Blink can't take his sword out. Right? So. <laughs> but that's another thing I like about the film too. It's like the mysticism is not too heavy. Like, there's a real question: like, how much is how much magic is there really? Um, you know when the, the the scene where he sees the the Bjork as the seer, um, like is she really there? Is he having a hallucination? There's like a hallucination later where he's did he fight the the mound? Is it the mound king or or what? Like whoever he, the the monster he gets the sword from, like was that a real fight or was that a fight in his like mind? Because he there's a scene where he like 
defeats the monster, and then it pans over slowly, and he's standing in front of the the husk of the monster, and he just takes the sword, and away he goes. Mm-hmm. It's I, I really like that a lot. It's like, how much is is magic real in this universe, or is it just like a trick of the mind? Like that guy who's standing guard, and he tries to draw the sword. Maybe he just gets it caught on something. Maybe he can't draw it. Is that, or is it like really magic? I don't know. It's little things like that. I was, I, it, it made me lean into the movie. I just that like the little, the little is. <laughs> yeah the little the little, the little things yeah but yeah i was i was pretty convinced that it's all is all based on this fate mm. um but yeah it's interesting to think about like how did this all how much of it's just you know bad luck and how much of it's fate right mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um but or if, are they the same <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 a simple film but it's 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 again it's so well executed and uh alexander skarsgård is one of these like one of these guys who because he's 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 really ripped he's really ripped he works out he has great physicality he's he's a handsome man uh i i i mean he's kind of a big star but i really think he's kind of like in a different era, he would have been like a much bigger star because he's he's like got that physical presence, but he's also incredibly good. Like he's also incredibly talented as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do love <laughs> I do love any attempt to like goof him up a bit because like he has like this kind of He Man haircut through most of the film. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, uh, it, it sort of reminds me of. Um, he was in Godzilla versus Kong where he's like playing this like nebbish nerd who essentially like was wearing like the Marty McFly life jacket through most of the film. It's just like, I, I, I appreciate how he's kind of always trying to undermine the handsomeness in some way, <laughs> but, but in this, he's, he's really, really good. Um, I do want to highlight the, the uncle and I'm, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but Clay's bang. I think he's Welsh. Um, Mm-hmm. Or he's oh he's Danish actually, um, you know he's just so wonderfully. He, I don't know if I recognize him from anything, because um, he is a Danish actor, which um, doesn't doesn't give one a lot of room to recognize people. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, he played Dracula in the Stephen Moffat Dracula. That's interesting, but he's so wonderful, uh, neutral evil. Um, he's, you know, he's kind of kind of oily and, you know, at the same time, he is kind of like a sad figure. It's like, he's living in his brother's shadow and he loses his brother's kingdom after working so hard to take it over. And then you get these like wonderful side villains, like his, his eldest son, uh, Thorir, who is just like, his clothes are always like so clean and pressed. Like he's never been in a fight, but he carries himself like he's, you know, cuck of the muck and it's yeah. <laughs> it's it's so it's, and he has it, no problem ordering people around uh he has no problem ordering people around and yeah. there's a scene where where um Amleth saves uh his what we what we know and he knows his younger brother um in the middle of this like bizarre like mortal combat croquet fight that they're having <laughs> yeah, that game yeah <laughs> that um, yeah. yeah, that's bizarre. that was a bizarre touch. Like I, 
I can't believe something like that was real. Actually, no, I can't believe it. But uh, like the, when he saves the little brother and then Thor comes up and he's like, so we've decided to reward you. You're going to have lesser work. Uh, we're going to put you in charge of the other slaves. You can have one of the women, uh, but you're always going to be a slave. So like, definitely keep that in mind. And it's just like, oh, it's he's uh, and I'm just like, I was watching this thinking like, oh, dude, he's still going to kill you the worst. <laughs> <laughs> you're done. Yeah. Let's see what he does to you. Yeah. And then there's the guy who he he, he bit the nose off when he was a oh, kid yeah. and he was trying to escape. And he comes back later and finishes the job by stabbing him through what oh. was left of the nose, which is. Just oh, yeah. That scene where he scene. stabs a knife right right in through his nose it's so brutal (laughs) (laughs) and and he does it so slowly and gently it's uh he relishes every moment of that but um i can understand why this isn't for everybody now that we're talking about it (laughs) Uh, that was yeah that was that was intense Mm -hmm. he's got like that nose hole there because his nose is isn't there anymore he just puts mm-hmm. knife, this huge knife just right in there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's that's some really entertaining violence yeah i think yeah and of course we we get like the best fight in a lava pit since revenge of the sith to, to cap it all off so yeah <laughs> which is really well staged it's like it's kind of the one sequence where you know there's definitely some it was like probably sound staged and um with a lot of effects involved, because obviously you're not going to be fighting barefoot on lava fields. So, method actors would. Yeah, yeah I can see. <laughs> <laughs> I could. <laughs> I could see uh, Joaquin Fe- Joaquin Phoenix going the whole way. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, no, I'll fight on this lava. No, why are we shooting in a studio? Why are we shooting in a real lava field? Let's go. <laughs> I've been training for months in a lava field. <laughs> I've been I've been firewalking eight hours a day for five months, guys. I can handle it. Yeah. Oh boy, but good movie though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as as we've pointed out, it's just full of full of really exciting violence. I think, and. Uh, <laughs> 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 which i i i i really appreciate it <laughs> yeah it just I was, I was just thinking about the the scene where from the simpsons where bart finds the bear in the bag of ice and uh bart says to apu there's a head in this bag and apu says well oh, it's chock full of heady goodness and i'm thinking that's kind of the way to describe uh the northman as well it's chock full of heady goodness because there's a lot of decapitations yeah 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 (laughs) all right that seems like a good place to leave things (laughs) we hope you like the show if you want to listen to it again you can find us on our website ngreditsradioshow.com you can download it on the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. When you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on the show. Just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can find us on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Tim, where can the people find you out there on the internet? Yeah, on the internet, so on social media, you can find me Flash in the Deadpan on social media please check it out and let's interact Mm -hmm. and uh tomorrow if you're listening to us on wednesday tomorrow thursday june 2nd that is election day which means there's going to be an election night really yes (laughs) 
<laughs> so that means no open sources at 5 p.m. We're going to go live to Eric starting at 8 p.m. for election night. Me, Scotty Hertz, Christopher Curry, and some special guests. So stay tuned for that here on CFRU. And stay tuned for more great programming coming up next here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return with another end credits adventure next week. And we will see you then. 